the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Luke. The zealots, the Jewish zealots, they were the anti-Roman guys, and they didn't want to pay taxes, and they'd kill the Romans if they had the chance to, and they would. And so they want Jesus here to choose, and again, to try to discredit him. But what does Jesus do? Well, verse 23 says that he saw through their duplicity. He saw through their duplicity. Matthew's gospel says that knowing their evil intent, he sees right through them. And he said to them, here's another question, show me a denarius whose portrait and inscription are on it. As Jesus continues to be questioned by the religious leaders in Jerusalem, you'll get to see just how intimately God's Son knows each person. He has people from all sides pestering Him and trying to catch Him in a bad answer, but He knew it. Pastor Gary will remind you today that Jesus saw their motivation. He knew what was in their hearts. And he still does today. He knows exactly why you do what you do, even if you don't tell anyone else. All the good you do and the bad is seen by Jesus, but he loves you still. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Luke chapter 20, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him. And threw him out. And then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. So this is a very, you know, a parable again, a parabolo is something that is thrown alongside. Uh, a parable is a way to illustrate a deeper spiritual truth, and Jesus is trying to expose their hearts, the religious leaders. You know, here God is the owner of the vineyard. He comes and he establishes the nation of Israel. Uh, it doesn't produce good fruit. And so God sends one servant after another. And it's a reflection of one Old Testament prophet after another to speak truth into the, into the nation. And still, they keep killing every prophet. They don't want to hear the truth. Finally, the owner sends his son. If 
Finally, God sends his son. Here comes Jesus onto the world scene here. And what do they end up doing to him? Well, he prophetically talks about how they they just want to kill him. They don't want the heir around. They kill him, and then there's going to be judgment. Now, they, it says, when the people heard this, they said, may this never be. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. Now, Jesus is the cornerstone. Uh, that's our namesake. Cornerstone Chapel is about Jesus, okay? Cornerstone is a reference to Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the chief stone from which the whole edifice is built. And this is a prophecy from Psalm 118 that the builders will reject the capstone or the cornerstone. It says cornerstone in King James, but capstone here in NIV. But it's the idea that Jesus prophetically is telling them, you're going to reject me, just as Psalm 118.22 says. And then he talks there in verse 18 about those who fall on that stone will be broken, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. Circle the words in your Bible, or if you have an electronic Bible, uh, highlight the word broken and highlight the word crushed. Okay, Jesus talks here about the results, uh, one being that there will be brokenness, and the, the other result is there will be a crushing. Now, if you notice, he says here, Again, verse 18, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken. So notice, the one who falls is taking the initiative themselves. But then he talks about another individual who represents another group of people, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. So here's the idea. Jesus says, you can either fall on me and be broken, and brokenness is a good thing. Or you can reject me and you'll be judged, you'll be crushed. It is better to fall on Jesus than to have him fall on you. It is better to humble yourself and come to the place of brokenness before Jesus than to rebel against him, reject him, and then be crushed by his judgment. That's what he's saying here. Listen, Psalm 51 verse 17, it's a great verse just where it says broken there in your Bibles, just right next to it, right? Psalm 51, 17. David said, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Listen to that. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, brokenness. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God loves broken people. Because in our brokenness, that's when we humble ourselves and we come to the place of being at the bottom of ourselves and saying, Lord Jesus, save me, forgive me. And we come to that place of brokenness. That is a good thing. Most of the things we think about in our culture that are broken, we discard. It's trash. You break something, if you can't mend it in some way or glue it back together, even after you glue it back together. My wife was given this, um, it's, it's this plug-in thing which has a light bulb underneath it and on the top it melts this uh, perfumey, waxy candle kind of thing. I don't know, and I don't even remember how I did it, and she wasn't around, but I bumped, I bumped the shelf it was on and that thing came crashing down. Now what do you think I did before she got home? 
I mean, it was, in about, it was about in five pieces. I glued that thing together. I glued it together, and I put it right back on the shelf right where it was. But then I told her, <laughs> because the worst thing would be to glue it and not tell her. So I glued it, and I told her. But a lot of times, the things that we break, we end up, oh, I'm just going to throw this thing away, because we discard things that are broken. But the one thing that God esteems more than anything else is brokenness. God loves brokenness because it's the place that we admit that we are needy of him and that we come to the place of full surrender. That's a good kind of brokenness, and that's what Jesus is referring to here. If you fall on Jesus and you humble yourself and you are broken, that's a good thing. If you reject him and he falls on you, that's judgment. You'll be crushed. Not a good thing. So verse 19, the teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately. Because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. But they were afraid of the people. So, next section. Here they're going to keep looking for another opportunity. So, verse 20. Keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies who pretended to be honest. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him. Now, Matthew's Gospel in Matthew 22 tells us that these were Pharisees and Herodians, and that is important to the story. Luke doesn't tell us that, but Matthew does. Here's their question, verse 21. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right, and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Okay, that, that whole thing right there is just totally just buttering him up. That's just, it's just flatter. They're flattering him. That's all that is. I mean, it, it, it's true, but they're simply saying it to just butter him up. So you know Jesus is like, Oy what's coming next, you know? Okay, because he's seeing right through this. And here's their question, verse 22. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So now, again, picture the whole scene. you got a bunch of people. It's public square. Jesus teaching. They're trying to find some way to discredit him, ask him a question, make him look stupid. And here's what they're trying to do. In Matthew 22, again, it says that these are the Pharisees and the Herodians. The Pharisees were strict separatists. They did not believe in the Roman government. They couldn't stand the Roman government. They didn't want to submit to the Roman government. They were anti-Rome. The Herodians, as the name implies, were favorable towards Herod. These were different Jewish sects, but the Herodians were more favorable towards the Roman Empire, more favorable towards King Herod. The Herodians were pro-Rome, Pharisees anti-Rome. Here they come, and they ask Jesus, what should we do? Should we pay taxes or not? Now, if he says, yeah, pay taxes, then he looks like he's pro-Rome. The Heronians are going to like him. If he says, don't pay your taxes, he's going to look anti-Rome, and the Pharisees are going to like him. So here, once again, they're, they're trying to split him, cause him to be divisive, cause him here to look ridiculous. And in addition, not only would it look like he's taking sides, but if he's pro-Rome, then the, you know, the Jews are going to think that maybe you're not really Messiah because you know, you're not promoting the sovereignty of God, you're promoting the sovereignty of Rome. And if he's anti-Rome, he's going to be seen as a rebellious uh, person who, in the end, that's what they try to pin on him, is that you, you know, you've rebelled against the Roman government. And that's, that's, in the end, what they trump up charges for him to be crucified under. Uh, but you know, the zealots, the Jewish zealots, they were the anti-Roman guys, and they didn't want to pay taxes, and they'd kill the Romans if they had the chance to, and they would. And so they want Jesus here to choose, and again, to try to discredit him. 
But what does Jesus do? Well, verse 23 says that he saw through their duplicity. He saw through their duplicity. Matthew's gospel says that knowing their evil intent, he sees right through them. And he said to them, here's another question. Show me a denarius whose portrait and inscription are on it. You ask me a question, should I pay taxes? Let me ask you a question. Why don't you show me a coin? Whose inscription is on it? And they replied, verse 25, Caesar's. And he said to them, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Brilliant, again! I mean, just every time he answers, it's just this brilliant answer, and they're again standing there dumbfounded. And so it says in verse 26 that they were unable to trap him in what he had said there in public. And astonished by his answer, they became silent. That's where that expression came from. Well, shut my mouth. Because they, they had nothing more to say. You know, once again. Now, this is an important answer that he gives here. And I don't want us to miss this because this is something deep, actually. He says, okay, look at your coin. Whose inscription is it? Okay, Caesar's, Caesar's inscription. His image was on it. His image. And so, so Jesus says, all right, well, render, King James, render unto Caesar, give unto Caesar. What is Caesar's? If the coin has his image on it, then you need to pay your taxes. You need to give to the government what you need to give to the government. But on the other hand, he said, give to God what is God's. Now, what does that part mean? That's, that's the heart of this, of this question. Here's the verse, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. So, first part, pretty clear. In the image is Caesar. You need to be faithful to pay your taxes. You know, nobody really likes taxes, but uh, we've got a lot of things to fund, including daycare and free college education. But anyhow, that's a whole other subject. But then the follow-up question is, Well, what is God's? If Jesus says, okay, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and then give unto God's what is God's, what is God's? Now, you know what I've heard? I've heard, I don't know, you know, TV evangelists, pastors, whatever you want to call it. I've heard this verse so twisted to mean be a good giver to the church or to the televangelist ministry or to whatever it is. You know, give, pay your taxes, but then turn around and give God what is God's because, you know, and the truth is that everything we have materially is from God. And so this verse is sometimes used to promote charitable giving. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Okay? Listen, whose image is on the coin? Caesar's. Then give to Caesar because his image is on the coin. Whose image is on you? That's what he's asking here. What is due to God? The answer is, you are because you bear his image. Give your life to the one whose image you bear. Now hold your finger there in Luke, but I want you to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, because I want you to see that the word image here is an important word for us to understand and why we are distinguished among all the rest of God's creation. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, where we find this word image used here in the Hebrew, it is the word Salem. In Genesis 1, 26, this is the creation story. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image. This is interesting language here. Notice the plurality of the pronouns. Let us 
make man in our image, okay? It is, uh, you know, indicative here. This is, this is a veiled reference to the Trinity. This is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, he's one God. And it's interesting, in the Hebrew language, you have these plural pronouns, but the word make, the verb to make, let us make, the word make is singular in the Hebrew language. Now, anybody who studied ancient languages like Latin or Greek or, or Hebrew, you know that you cannot have a plural pronoun referring to a singular verb, except in the case where you're talking about one God who is three in persons. There's going to be a singular verb because it's one God, but it is three in persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now that has everything to do with the idea of image, so hold that thought. Let us make man in our image. That's that word, salam. In our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Sorry, PETA. (laughs) So, verse 27, God created man in his own image. Now, the the pronoun switches to the singular because it's communicating, again, the same picture here. This is God. God said, Elohim. Let us make, us plural, make singular, in his image singular. This is one God revealed in three persons, captured here in the language. So God created man in his own image. There's the word again. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. When God created mankind, when he created Adam and Eve, when he created the human race, he created us in his image. And that word in Hebrew can translate essential nature. Now, how are we created in the essential nature of God? Again, one singular God revealed in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The concept is the word, the Trinity. It is a difficult concept for us to grasp. It is somewhat mysterious, but we see it throughout Scripture, even though the word Trinity is not found throughout the Bible at all. The concept of one God revealed himself in three persons is seen throughout Scripture. That is God's essential nature. When he created us, he created us body, soul, and spirit. One individual, but you are three unique components, though you are one individual. Every single one of us is body, soul, and spirit. When you look at the creation story, and I'll just reference um, back in Genesis 1.20, when he talked about let the water team with living creatures... The word creatures there in the Hebrew is nefesh. We get uh, the translation, the word soul. When God created the plant life, they had neither soul nor spirit. It just exists, okay? Living, living organisms, but without a soul or a spirit, okay? If you have a, you know, a plant, if you have a fern on your front porch, okay? It's a, it's a living organism. That's why you have to water it. It needs right sunlight. It needs oxygen, all that kind of stuff. But it has no emotion, okay? You, you shouldn't talk to it. If you do, there's a problem. 
Okay? Don't talk to it. It's not going to talk back. It doesn't feel. If you clip it off and trim it, it doesn't, ouch! You know, it doesn't feel anything. Has no feeling, has no emotion, has no intellect, has no will. But when God created the animal kingdom then, there in Genesis 1.20, he gave animals nefesh. He gave animals a soul. In other words, the soul is the seat of emotion. Animals have emotion. Different from your fern. Okay, look at your dog. When your dog is scolded, your dog just, or a thunderstorm. Our dog was always petrified of thunderstorms, okay? And you could look at her, and she'd be terrified, shivering and shaking when she'd hear the thunder, okay? But my fern on the front porch was just fine. <laughs> it just did what a fern does. You could care less if it's lightning and thundering. But a dog has emotion. A dog can, it, a dog can be afraid. A dog can wag his tail. It can be happy. It has emotion. It has nefesh. Cats are a whole other subject. Won't even go there. <laughs> Obviously, they have emotion too. It's just demonic. But anyhow, <laughs> but now guess what? Then God on the sixth day creates man in his image. Didn't create the animals in his image. Didn't create the fern in his image. Creates mankind in his image because mankind has, has an extra component that nothing else in creation has. We have a spirit. We are body, soul, and spirit. A plant is just body. I don't mean it in a fleshly way, but it has a, it has a, you know, a structure, an organism, a makeup, a chemistry. Animals have a body and a soul. They have emotion. They have intellect. They have a mind. But human beings have all three and only human beings. We also have a spirit. And that spirit is what lives forever. That's the sole issue that's so important why we have to make a decision to trust Christ. Because you see, our spirit is what lives forever. One day our body, these three parts that we have, one individual, our body is going to disintegrate, return to dust. Bible says if you know Christ as your Savior, you're going to get a glorified body. But it is our spirit that lives forever. Within our spirit is our soul. You don't lose your mind. You know, when you die, and I'm speaking now in terms of a Christian who knows Christ, the Bible teaches that your body separates from your spirit. Your spirit is the house of your soul. So when you die and you go to be with the Lord, you still maintain your mind, your intellect, your understanding, your emotions, okay? When you go to heaven, it's not like you become dumber, right? You become smarter, actually. You become, you have revelation now. That's why Paul says, you know, now on earth I know I'm part, but then I shall know fully as I'm fully known. What is he talking about? He's going to have greater revelation because the Lord will reveal things to us in heaven that we can't understand or comprehend now. But it is that spirit that makes us very different from all of the rest of God's creation. So when Jesus is saying here, Give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, because your coin has the image of Caesar. His question is really to the heart of the issue of where an individual stands with God. Look at your life. You were created in the image of God. You bear His image. Therefore, you belong to Him. Therefore, surrender your life to Him and live for His glory. Amen? You and I are distinctly different from the rest of God's creation. And God created us with the capacity to know Him, to have relationship with Him. We are body, soul, and spirit. One day, we will all die. Either that or the Lord will come to get us and we don't have to experience death. But when that day happens, where will your spirit 
which houses your soul, spend eternity. Know Christ as your Savior, and it can be with Him always and forever. The Gospel of Luke takes a unique look at the life of Christ from His birth to His ministry, His death and resurrection. Luke described Jesus as the Son of Man, one of his favorite ways to refer to himself. Jesus was God in human form, showing all of us what it means to live a completely sinless life. There was no fault to be found in him, yet Jesus was still nailed to a cross. But his death had purpose too. He stood in for you, taking the punishment your sin deserves. And then he rose from the grave, conquering death and the evil one. What an amazing Savior this Son of Man truly is. Are you interested in knowing more about Jesus, or would you like someone to pray with you? If so, please email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we invite you to come join us this Sunday for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship at Cornerstone Chapel. Find out service times and more information when you visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find previous messages from Pastor Gary and be able to download our mobile app. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know